welcome to episode four of our email deliverability unfiltered video series. Today we'll be talking all about authentication, what it is, why it matters, and which authentication protocols you need to have in place to optimize your deliverability. Authentication is one of the more technical aspects of email, and while it may not be everybody's favorite topic, or in fact, you know, maybe it's your, your, your least favorite topic, um, it's a very important one for deliverability. So it's essential to have at least a basic understanding of how authentication works, you know, why it's so important, and how it can help or actually hurt your deliverability. My name is Lauren Meyer. I'm the VP of Industry Relations and Compliance for Kickbox. And joining me for this episode is our special guest, Matthew Burnout, who is the founder of emailkarma.net and VP of Deliverability North America for NetCore Solutions. So hello, Matt. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, should be a fun conversation. And you know, I think, um, honestly, we met at a MOG, I think. Um, but honestly, I don't really remember how that that looked. Um, all I know is you're kind of one of the, the friendly faces that I love seeing when we go to conferences. And um, honestly, it's it's really fun to have a, a conversation about email with you over, over several beers sometimes. <laughs> so um, I would say, you know, Matt's resume is super extensive because, you know, he's been working in email for, for more than 20 years. How many years has it been, Matt? It was 20 in October. So. 20, exactly 20. Wow. Okay. So um, does that mean you, you're turning into one of the gray beards? Is this, uh, it is It is going gray. So, there we go. I think so it's starting. You've got the gray hair coming in. you got the gray beard coming in. Yeah. You kind of just need to embrace it, I guess. Right. <laughs> so um, it is cool. What All it right. is, so. <laughs> yes. So, um, so, you know, Matt is a very active member within the email and the digital marketing community. He's advocating on behalf of privacy and deliverability and a whole lot of other things. Um, a, a small resume on him, I guess, you know, he's, he's worked at several ESPs. He's sat on the board for or been chairs of multiple organizations. Um, he's also the founder and editor-in-chief of emailkarma.net and the Canadian Email Summit. Um, he's the communications chair for the Off Indicators Working Group, which is focusing on BIMI. And on top of all of that, he was named the EEC's Email Marketer Thought Leader of the Year in 2019. Awesome, I love that, that was really well-deserved. Um, and he became the chairperson of the EEC over the summer. And within that same month, he joined the, Net the, the team at NetCore um, as their, their VP of Deliverability. So, I think I'm going to stop there because I'm actually running out of breath from, from all this information. <laughs> it, it's uh, also, yeah. Right? Yeah. And I think years, honestly, we can have this, this whole thing be about you. Like it really could just be an entire episode about what you've been up to and all that kind of good stuff. So you collect um, a lot of things over 20 years. <laughs> you really do. Yeah. And honestly, I think, you know, it's one of those, like, I, I, I know of things that I didn't even mention and that maybe for you aren't worth mentioning. Um, but yeah, you've been, you've been up to a lot of good in the, in the last many years. So that's awesome. Um, so I guess, you know, we'll, we'll welcome you to the show. Um, we've got a lot to tackle today. So we really want to kind of dig in, but I think, you know, before we get started, especially since you do have um, so much experience in email. And honestly, you seem to, to actually still have a passion for it after all of these years. I don't know. Um, you know, I'd love to kind of hear, you know, what is what is your favorite part of email or deliverability? And like, kind of like, what, why is it that you do what you do? So I think I think there's a couple sort of key things. One, it's a different experience every day. There's very few days where I come in the office and do the exact same thing I did the day before, you know, work in the assembly line, push the button, send email. <laughs> Right? Yeah, yeah. Deliverability is not like that. You get a different experience every day. So there's tons of variety. The community is great. Uh, you know, the email geeks community, the mug community, the EEC community, they're all sort of special. It's a, it's an interesting industry where people work together a lot of times to learn and train and educate as opposed to working against each other and, and not really sharing their learnings. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what makes it unique. Um, and, and part of what I love about it, um, as well as I think the fact that, you know, I, I 
I love to teach and share. So I get to do mm-hmm. that every day, whether it's internal with a client or with the community, I get to do all of these types of things. And then I get to hang out with cool people like you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's, we actually get to travel to a lot of cool places. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, we had some, some beers at the Hofbrau house in Munich and um, that's just one of the times that we got to hang out. So pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, cool. Well, I guess enough about you for now anyway, we'll, we'll maybe follow up later with some more personal information about you. Um, but I want to jump right into, to our conversation about authentication. Um, you know, I think we've got a couple of different protocols that we want to talk about today and they sort of, you know, maybe like complement or, or maybe like cascade upon each other in certain ways. Um, so I think for, first we have, of SPF and DKIM, uh, which have been around for quite some time and are basically, I would say, considered, you know, sort of like standard practice by mailbox providers at this point. Um, so if you guys haven't heard of these, or if you don't know if you've implemented them, please stick with us and, and set them up as soon as you're done with this, this video chat, right? Um, then you add in DMARC, which um, requires you to first have SPF and DKIM set up properly. And then you layer BIMI on top of that. And this is probably the, the newest protocol um, or you know, piece of authentication. And it requires DMARC to be properly configured first as well. So they kind of just build upon each other. Um, so Matt, I'd love to kind of have you walk us through sort of like each of these separately. Um, but I guess first, before we jump into them, like what, can you tell us sort of like, you know, like why authentication is important in the first place, right? Like what's the point? Like, why are we even talking about this? Why are we even doing this? Yeah, so uh, you know, back back when the generation even before us created the internet and all the protocols that go along with it, like SMTP, they built it in a way that it would be, you know, completely redundant and completely independent and completely open. Right. The intention was it was going to be a communication network that was open and accessible to basically everyone. And really, they didn't foresee the potential for abuse, or if they did, they didn't think the internet. You know, maybe they didn't believe it was going to be as big as it turns out to be. So, you know, email and the internet itself is very much developed in an open protocol, which also means it's ripe for abuse. And back when I started, you know, in in 2000 in the email, these types of things didn't exist. SPF didn't exist, DKIM didn't exist. There was, you know, the very early forms of spam and phishing going on. Um, You know, there was, they existed at the time when I joined, Um, but like they weren't, in the the billions and billions of messages that they are now. Um, So as part of that, as domains got spoofed and as brands got fished and as sort of the criminal element of the world moved online uh, because they could do it from home, there was less risk of being caught, et cetera. It became much more of a problem. You couldn't tell if it was actually Bank of America sending you a message. So uh, the internet, sorry, the industry got a bunch of smart people together sat down and said, well, what do we do about this? And, uh, you know, SPF was sort of born from that. It was like, you know, if we can list all the mail servers that are allowed to send mail on behalf of a domain with our sender policy framework authentication record, uh, that at least gives the receiving side a chance to say, is it potentially legitimate from this brand? Uh, Which was great. Um, however, you know, being an open standard, you're not always validating against the proper domain when you're sending on behalf of a client or you're sending on behalf of another network. So, um, even that was a bit, um, easy to get around after a while, like people figured it out. Um, so then, you know, Microsoft decided that they were going to implement sender ID, which, um, checks the, uh, the friendly from domain uh, as opposed to the envelope from domain. Um, it basically does the same test as, as SPF. The challenge was it didn't really catch on outside of Microsoft. 
SPF was widely adopted by the industry and sender ID didn't quite get the same footprint. So eventually it was sunset in favor of sender ID. Um, around the same time, we saw domain keys and IIM, which was the uh, Internet Identified Mail, uh, get created, which were basically, again, two very similar near identical protocols, one being managed by uh, Yahoo and the other one being managed, I think, by the open source community. I don't quite remember. Um, but then eventually those merged and became domain keys identified mail. So they merged and became DKIM, which allows you to um, authenticate the content of the message and a select number of headers uh, of the message in order to prove that the content is the same as when it was sent. So you have the ability to check the source, you have the ability to check that the content is the same, and you can pair those together and build sort of a reputation profile and build a, um, you know, a, is this probable, like probably from the right source or an approved source. Okay. Um, so working all together, those solutions build sort of that authentication framework um, that we've come to rely on. And like you said, really should be the, the minimum standard of setup for anyone doing commercial mail, corporate mail. And honestly, you're, if you own your own personal mail domains, you should be doing that for your own personal mail as well. Cool, all right. Um, well, welcome to the- Long-winded answer. <laughs> There's a lot to go here through here. So yeah, so um, I guess, you know, like let's maybe just jump into to see, like you already touched upon a lot of these. So I guess with, with SPF, sender policy framework, like is there, is there anything more that we should say? Are there issues with, with SPF that should be, people should be aware of or things that they should be, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I think I actually recently wrote about this on the, on the netcorecloud.com blog um, around, um, you know, like all things in life, you need to do a little bit of housekeeping every once in a while. And, you know, if your SPF record gets out of date, if it gets stale, um, if you continue to add protocols and add suppliers to your SPF record, uh, you can bloat the record beyond the specifications, which can cause delivery issues. So that's something that I've seen, you know, in, in my past investigating SPF and working with brands and doing reporting and stuff on adoption of SPF. Um, you know, a lot of people will have you know, they'll, they'll add their email service provider, they'll add their ticketing support service, they'll add their CRM platform, they'll add, you know, their own website, they'll add their corporate mail servers, and all of a sudden it's, you know, it's 20 lookups in the record, right. which yeah. the, the standard limits you to 10. So in those cases, that's where you want to start looking at things like segmentation of subdomain and using mm -hmm. subdomain for email marketing, subdomain for your CRM, subdomain for your ticketing systems, et cetera, so that you can properly segment those and authenticate them properly. So I think that's probably the biggest challenge. Um, otherwise, you get into the, sort of the debate of tilde all soft fail versus minus all hard fail, um, which we don't have time to have that conversation. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole another um, than, than this. Yeah. Yeah, but but I think those are the big ones. Um, you know, soft fail for most people is is more than acceptable. Um, but if you want to be sort of more aggressive and you're more sure of your records, a, a minus fail is, is perfectly, a minus all is perfectly acceptable. Okay, cool. All right. Awesome. Well, let's move on to, um, to DKIM. So I guess, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like what, what issue did DKIM solve that SPF didn't? So that's a great question. It solved a few things. I think sort of the, the idea of like man in the middle, someone could intercept the message, uh, during transit and change content mm -hmm. uh, 
um, or replay content forward uh, with different URLs uh, within the message or change content within the message. Um, and what DKIM allows is basically the receiving side to prove, you know, stamp A matches stamp B when it arrives. So therefore, you know, we can trust that the message wasn't transmitted, uh, sorry, wasn't changed during transmission. Um, and that's not really something that SPF is even testing, right? SPF is testing where did it come from and was it approved to come from there as opposed to what's going on with the content. Okay, awesome. Kind of simplifying some of these things too. So of course. Um, <laughs> it gets way more technical than all of that, but um, you know, that's the 10,000 foot view of what it does. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, this is meant to be kind of high level, right? Like this is like, if you don't know what these things are, here's a nice little introduction, hopefully to, to get your feet wet um, and give you that that motivation that you're going to need to go actually look this stuff up and, and kind of have that, that like ice cream headache of what, what does that sentence mean? Like, yeah. okay, I read it 15 times and what, <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, cool. Um, okay, so let's see. So, so we've got DKIM, we've got SPF. Um, we can talk about maybe some of the newer ones. And, you know, I, I actually, I wouldn't say that DMARC is, is new since it's actually been around since what, like 2012. Um, but I do think that there's still a lot of people who, who don't know about it. They, they don't know what DMARC is. Um, and for this reason, like adoption has actually been kind of low considering how many people are sending email, right? Um, Valley Mail actually had a study released, I think over the summer um, that indicates that while DMARC adoption has increased 48% over last year and almost two and a half times higher than the number from two years ago, we still only have about maybe a million domains that have published DMARC records. And they've only gone as far as like about, uh, you know, like monitor mode, right? So um, let's talk about that, right? Like first, what is what is DMARC? Um, how does it work? And kind of, you know, what, what the heck is this monitor mode? stuff. Yeah. So, so DMARC is basically a way that as a domain owner, mm -hmm. you can um, request certain actions from the receiving side in regards to, did my messages properly authenticate with SPF and or DKIM? So only one of the two has to properly authenticate. And I think okay. that's something that a lot of people are confused on. Mm -hmm. um, so if you get a pass condition on one or both of those, DMARC basically says, thumbs up, this message is good to go. If you get a fail condition on both of those, um, you can make that request of take no action, which is sort of the monitor mode, uh, take an action to put the message in the quarantine folder, because I'm fairly certain it's not from me as a domain owner because it fell outside my authentication records, but I'm not 100% sure I want you to get rid of it. Okay. Yeah. And then finally, there is the reject request. Mm -hmm. So basically, you can say, I'm, I'm really sure that everything I send is well authenticated. And if you get something that's not authenticated, chances are it's not me. So get rid of it um, and just reject the message. So you have like a none policy is what it's called, a quarantine policy and a reject policy. Okay. Um, yep. Along with all of that, you can ask for reports to be sent from you, were sent to you, which is, I think, the, the real power of DMARC. Yeah. Um, and you can take those reports. Uh, most of the big providers send them to you, although Microsoft, as far as I understand, does not send them to anybody. There are some rumors that they have a partnership with a single vendor that they do send, but uh, I have yet to get that confirmed by anybody. So um, as far as I know, Microsoft does not send reports and they haven't for about three and a half years. Um, but basically the reports come back with a count of the IP that sent the mail, the pass fail condition, 
the domains that they saw within that uh, so that you can understand if you're being phished or spoofed or improperly authenticating your mail. Okay. Cool. And I guess, I mean, like, I'm curious because I mean, you know, I think we've been hearing so much about like alignment and misalignment, how that can kind of affect your deliverability. So I guess what, what are the biggest challenges? And I guess, what are the things that people should be looking out for as they kind of move to, to implementing stricter DMARC policies? So alignment's a big, a big part of that, you know, requiring both SPF and DKIM as part of DMARC. If you don't have a domain alignment, for example, you have a, an ESP that you're working with, and they control the envelope from. So they always use one of their branded domains in the ESP uh, platform as they're sending. And then the, so they authenticate SPF um, against the message. Um, and then they rely on your DKIM key uh, and your uh, uh, friendly from address um, for domain alignment under DKIM only. Um, you know, you, you immediately risk missing all of the past conditions on SPF when you don't have that domain alignment properly set up. Um, and you, you simply then have to rely on, on DKIM alignment. So there are certainly some things there that add complication, add risk, not to say that it's bad. Um, the challenge becomes you have a much higher percentage or a much higher likelihood of a DMARC failure if you don't have proper domain alignment. So uh, it means one of two things. One means you either can't go really beyond none maybe into a quarantine, but it gets a little risky and, and likely not going into reject at all, which for some brands is perfectly fine. Um, or it means that, um, you know, you, you might just get stuck at none for that particular subdomain or domain. So um, the reason most people don't understand this is because when they're in their own email platform and they're sending from their corporate email, both the envelope from and the mail from are the same. So it's it's not a it's not typically an alignment issue. It really happens from that outside source. You're using an email vendor to send, and that's where you kind of get that envelope issue where they don't always align. Now most platforms nowadays do align, or you can configure them to align. So certainly, if you're worried about that or you're not sure, talk to your email vendor. Um, as an example, if you want to see it, send yourself an email at Gmail, and if you see something that says you know mail from your domain via emailplatform.com, um, that definitely shows you that your envelopes don't align. Nice. That's all. That's like a nice little like quick tip for, for checking out. Yeah. The yeah, it's a good way to, it's a good way to find it because the, like it. Yeah. The, mail for, the via is showing you that it was sent from another uh, envelope from. Right. Okay, cool. All right, great. Um, and I guess, you know, we hear this question kind of a lot. So do you think, or I guess, does, does DMARC help with deliverability? Like, is it, does it actually help you hit the inbox with more consistency in any way? Um, you know, people will say it does. And if you read a lot, like people will say, absolutely. But what, what I've found in experience is DMARC in itself doesn't fix your delivery issues. It's the process of getting through resetting all your SPF records, resetting your DKIM records, authenticating all your mail, validating all the different sources are legit. Yeah. And then sort of taking that effort to clean everything up and then moving through the process towards a quarantine and a reject policy. That action in itself helps a lot of senders. Mm -hmm. 
um, get better deliverability. Uh, I worked with a client that um, spent a bunch of time getting their DMARC stuff aligned, working with their third-party vendors, identifying some stuff that was sort of legacy and causing problems for them. And then when they went through the process and turned on reject, immediately they saw deliverability improvement because all the good stuff they had done in order to get there finally sort of pushed them over that hump where they were having some problems before. I like that. Yeah. And I, I think I've heard this, you know, the same kind of thing with like, you know, like when you get yourself like certified with return path, for example, or, you know, like anything like that, um, you know, where it's, it's more of like that audit process that that process of like getting yourself certified that actually gets you to the point where your deliverability is, is pretty awesome. So um, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's a cool benefit. Um, yeah. And I guess, you know, the, the other one that I can think of in terms of, you know, benefits for deliverability is more just the fact that if you happen to get spoofed, um, and you're aware of it or you're protected from it, then your, your impacts to deliverability might be less. So I think there's, there's always that. Sure. Right? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think the fact that you've protected yourself from the bad actor yeah. doing something over here with your domain name um, certainly helps. It, it also promotes trust with your users if they're not getting phishing messages with your brand names in them. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it only takes a couple of those before you really start to, to wonder what's going on. So, okay, cool. All right. Well, um, let's move on then. Let's let's talk about um, the newest authentication standard, BIMI. Um, you know, I've, I've always kind of like sort of looked at this as sort of like a way to like dangle a carrot in front of marketers and, and sort of get them to improve the level of authentication on their domain. So I think, I don't know if that was the intent of it, um, but basically... Um, you know, I know you're on the committee of the Auth Indicators Working Group as their um, communications chair, I believe, right? Um, yeah. so you're the perfect person to talk about this. So like, what is, what is BIMI? What is the benefit of it? How does it work? All that good stuff. Tell us. Tell us yeah. About it. So BIMI is not really an authentication standard in the same sense that SPF, DKIM, and, and DMARC are. It's sort of the reward, like you said, for doing everything right. Yeah. It requires a certain... Uh, commitment to enforcement for your domain to make sure that it's very hard to spoof and that it's hard to, uh, you know, for a bad actor to impersonate you. Uh, so it does require that you're at a full quarantine or a full reject policy uh, for your domains. And basically what BIMI does is in the, in the case where you send mail and you meet the requirements of the mailbox provider. So uh, right now, uh, Verizon Media is, is the only one that's in like a live pilot that basically anyone can participate in. Um, and if you are sending bulk communications, so it won't work on your personal one-to-one -one mail, mm -hmm. we get that question a lot is, is I set it up and I sent myself a test, why? Um, if you send yourself a message, it's not gonna show up one-to-one -one mail. It needs to be coming from a domain that Verizon recognizes as either bulk mail or transactional mail. So it has to be something that's separate from your one-to-one -one communications. And how do they determine that? Is that like based on just the, 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 the amount of volume you're sending? Can you register somewhere? Like what, how do they decide that? Um, so that's all their secret sauce, but I would say, you know, their machine learning is involved. So they're looking at quantity of mail. They're looking at subdomains. They're looking at um, potentially types of content and user engagement. Um, so that's all part of their secret sauce. I don't know the actual answer of what they look for, um, but you know, their requirements basically being you, you send in, in quantities that they recognize as, as bulk, yeah. uh, you have a good reputation with them and you're sending to engaged users. Okay. Then they could enable BIMI for you. 
not to say they will, right? Again, this is all based on the decision and the final output of what the mailbox provider chooses. So simply publishing a record doesn't mean you get to display the record. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So there isn't the aspect of, of kind of, you know, um, reputation, of course, but then just almost like the, the outside influence of like, does the other side believe that you're worthy of this? Right. Okay. Yes. And, and so right now with, with the Verizon media setup, um, you simply need to publish the BIMI record uh, with the location of your uh, SVG image file. Okay. Um, so you don't need uh, the verified mark certificate at this point. Mm -hmm. um, now that is in the spec and it is something that we are planning to continue to move forward on. Um, and as Google is currently in their pilot, those participants that are in the Google pilot for BIMI did require to get, or sorry, were required to get VMCs. So part of that is we're still trying to figure out with the cert providers what the process is, how do we validate the images, how do you know we validate your domain is owned by the right company yeah. so that we can build that additional layer of security in. Um, and right now there's certain requirements that need to be met, uh, which are pretty high. So we start, you know, like all things security start with the high bar and then sort of tone things down until we find the right balance of security and, and policy. So VMCs are not required right now. Uh, will they be in the future? Absolutely. For some domains, are they required right now for Verizon Media? No. Um, okay. So, cool. you know, that's sort of where we are with that. Um, and yeah, it is the you did things right check mark for authentication. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think I, I, I like that you mentioned kind of like the security aspect, because I think one thing that I've heard sort of like from the naysayers is kind of like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, great. Now we've got another way to, to like spoof a brand and pretend that you're someone else. And I like that there's like this rigorous process that, you know, maybe it'll be easier in the future, but it, it is starting from a place of like, we want to make sure that this is protected and it's valuable and it's legitimate because if there's no legitimacy, if you don't trust it, <laughs> it goes right out the window. Right. So. Well, and we've seen cases in the past with the existing platforms where, you know, it's it's a human that makes the decision on which logo gets to display. So maybe they're displaying your old logo. Yeah. They're displaying a, a logo from the wrong company, but in a similar name. Mm. Um, right. So we saw this with, uh, you know, when you think of DIY, right, the DIY network, you think of the TV network. Mm -hmm. um, typically, they have a logo, but there's also a company in, in England, DIY something okay. that has a very similar name. Um, and what we've seen in the past is, uh, someone made the choice that the logo for DIY network, because they're biased towards us based brands mm -hmm. and the domain name for DIY company in England being two separate organizations, but they paired the logos and the domains together inappropriately. Yeah. Okay. Right? So there, there was like, there is room for human error when you do it that way. But as the domain owner, if I get to tell you, this is my logo, yeah. this is my brand, this is my logo, you remove the human error element. You also get that idea of, oh, I updated my logo. I got a whole new corporate identity. We went through a corporate rebrand. Here's a new logo. Well, instead of chasing down every mailbox provider under the sun to get them to update their logo, you can then go and update your BIMI record. And within a short period of time, all the mailbox providers are displaying your new record instead of your old one. That's magic. It's centralized control by the brand. Yeah. Wow. Okay, great. That's a huge benefit. I mean, as if you don't already need um, the fact that your logo is there, but to have the right one, the one that you choose. Great news. Oh, cool. And we even bake in the idea of having like a seasonal logo. So if you wanted to have a holiday logo with snow and a Santa hat on it or something like that, 
you know, the idea of using a selector, much like DKIM uses, you could have like selector winter for BIMI. And then when you send the mail, you could say use the winter selector uh, and then they could choose to change the- Oh, wow, okay. Right now we're not quite there yet, but that's yeah. in the plans for, for future support um, so that, you know, if you have seasonal logos or, you know, say you're Starbucks and all of a sudden it's pumpkin spice season, you want to send a, yeah. a, a yellow or like an orange and orange and red logo instead of your green and white one, you could have pumpkin spice season logo. Yeah. Think, right. Yeah. There's so many possibilities. Awesome. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to see uh, kind of what comes next with this. I mean, seeing more people adopt it so far, you know, Yahoo's got it live. Uh, sorry, Verizon Media Group has it live. Whoops, little slip there. Gmail, Gmail's working on their pilot. So um, cool. All right, um, great. Okay, so um, I think we've got the the basic um, standards and, and protocols and BIMI since it's not one of those um, covered. So maybe just a couple of other questions that people might have when it comes to authentication. So one is, um, you know, what domains maybe matter within the email headers? Like, do they all have an impact? Is it just most important? You know, like which which ones should they be focusing on? Um, having aligned or, or just really focusing on having a good reputation for those? So depending on who you talk to, <laughs> um, you know, I've heard uh, anti-abuse providers and, and mailbox providers say align as much as you can across the entire content of the message. Okay. So mm -hmm. envelope from, mail from, uh, message IDs, links, all of those as best you can align them uh, to a similar organizational domain or the same organizational domain. Subdomains are also good mm -hmm. uh, for those types of things, but um, the less variation you have in those types of places, the less reputation opportunities you have for a problem, if you will. Okay, ask. that makes sense, yeah. You know, um, you know, if you build good domain reputation and you use that domain everywhere, you don't have that risk of a bad domain causing problems. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm sure you and I have both seen it over the years where someone sends a message with a link to a, a blacklisted domain and their message doesn't deliver. While they have a good reputation as an organization, the source that they're pointing to has a poor reputation and that absolutely impacts reputation. So, um, sorry, impacts delivery. Mm -hmm. um, so as much as you can align everything, but I think, you know, the key ones are your, your mail from and your envelope from um, aligned with your DKIM key um, and your, you know, SPF. So those are the, those are the ones that absolutely, um, you know, where you can align those, absolutely align those as best you can. Okay. Awesome. Um, we cool. naturally aligns with that. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. And then um, Bimmy as well. Right. So they all sort of rely on the, at least the, the D equals in DKIM, um, that domain as best you can align to that. Okay, cool. Yeah. And I guess, um, just kind of a random offshoot question, like does, you know, domain age, I mean, I know domain age absolutely matters, but like, if you're going to set up a new, um, a brand new domain, you want to authenticate it probably pretty quickly. Like how is there a certain like resting period or a way that they, you, you kind of need to get that, that domain up and running without it being flagged as an issue? Yeah, you know, there's the idea of day old bread, um, which is a list that looks at how at the age, uh, like a reputation list that looks at the age of the domain. Mm -hmm. um, I know, for example, we won't authorize any domain on the platform that's younger than uh, two weeks, I believe, on our platform, okay. yeah. uh, except in special circumstances. So there are some special circumstances where that, uh, you know, can kind of get bypassed, if you will. Um, okay. You know, like we do work with some domain registrars and such that need to send mail right away as those domains and, and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I, 
I like domains that are a minimum a month old um, that have some, you know, personal one-to-one traffic on them as well, as opposed to just being turned up for email. Um, domains that have hyphens in them, avoid them. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, again, it's not bad if your corporate domain also has a hyphen in it, but don't go out and register company-mail.com yeah. for your marketing mail purposes. Um, you know, it looks like phishing. It looks like spam. Mm-hmm. Uh, use mail.domain.com instead, create a subdomain. Um, if that's the one thing that I could get every sender on the planet to think about is create a subdomain versus a hyphenated domain when you're, when you're doing marketing mail. I love that. You can have as many subdomains as you want. That's, yep. There's no, no limit on subdomains against domains you own, except for your own imagination. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. And I was working in affiliate marketing in my past, so I've got some, quite the imagination when it comes to domains. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the, we'll have a beer over that one sometime. Um, cool. Okay. So I guess I'm um, wrapping kind of up this, this, that authentication chat, I guess, um, you know, what's, um, how can people know if they're properly authenticated? Like what tools or what should they be looking at to, to, to know if they're doing well or if they have some issues they need to fix? Um, so there, there's a few, I would say, you know, the easiest one that most people have access to is, is, you know, send yourself a tested Gmail, look in the headers. Um, the headers will tell you, uh, there is an authentication results header that you can read that will basically break out what, what happened with your SPF, what happened with your DKIM, what happened with your DMARC, uh, and it will show you pass fail, uh, results. It will give you some, some information there. Uh, we are actually currently in the middle of launching a platform called grade my email, um, that has all of the different tools to allow you to test that your SPF set up properly, test that your DKIM's working, maybe build a DKIM record if you don't have one, mm-hmm. help, help with your DMARC in regards to building a record, um, and just sort of some general um, uh, sort of other tests to help yeah. um, validate your email is, is properly configured or help get you to that point where you can build those records properly. Um, you can, so grade my email.co. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the .com is coming soon. So that'll just, right now it's on the .co, but cool. it, we're working on it. Yeah. Um, so you can go there now and, and see some things. Um, there are other tools, your email vendor as well. Definitely talk to them, You know, especially if you're looking at subdomains with their platforms, they're gonna give you the records you need. They'll give you, here's the DKIM key to work with our platform or the C name. Here's the MX records you need. Here's this SPF records you need. Um, and then, yeah, there's, there's lots of consultants out there as well. If you get stuck or you're doing mail on your own and need help. Yeah. Awesome. You know, and it's funny. Cause I feel like, you know, some people rely heavily on their ESP for, for guidance and for information and other people like never talk to them, but it, you know, especially I think when it comes to authentication, they're a great place to start because they may have seen that issue before many, many times for other customers who are trying to, to align certain things or to fix some issue. Um, so I think they're a great resource that, that sometimes go pretty untapped. I don't know why, but um, yeah. Just cool. Okay. Hit send. That's all. But yeah, I agree. I think, you know, when it comes to authentication, ESPs have kind of figured it out and they can at least point you in the right direction or give you help where they can. Um, and, and sort of at least get you started for the mail that they send on your behalf. Uh, so you may need to talk to multiple platforms depending on how you're set up, but yeah. Um, you know, like I said, there are there are lots of places that provide free tools and free information for helping set that up. Um, but yeah, start with your ESP, and if not, start with a consultant and move on from there. 
All right, awesome. Um, cool, well, I think we have authentication covered as well as we have time for today, at least, let's say that. Um, hopefully this was a nice kind of uh, sort of, you know, intro to it for, for certain people. But um, before we sign off, I kind of want to just circle back, you know, again, you've got 20 years in the industry. Um, you know, we've got some people that are a couple years in, I'm 14 years in myself. Um, so if you had to kind of give, like in terms of your career in email and deliverability, like if you had to give one tip to our audience about how they can better develop their career or what thing maybe you would have done earlier in your career, you wish you would have done, like what's your advice for, for all of us? Uh, well, early in my career, there, there was no community the same way, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a few of us OGs still hanging around that have known each other 17, 18 years because mm -hmm. we all kind of stumbled around in a dark room, kicking things, trying to figure it out as we, we went. Uh, but I think, you know, like I said at the beginning, join the community, get involved, um, you know, search on your social platforms for hashtag email geeks. There are so many people talking about email and providing content and willing to answer questions. Um, you know, whether you're just starting, you know, I, I've, like I said, I've been around doing this a long time and I get stuck from time to time, yeah. right? I get stuck for, I don't understand why this has changed. I don't understand what this is saying because some things just aren't intuitive, but chances are, if you know enough people, someone has seen it, just like you were saying, right? Someone has seen this before. Um, if you're involved in communities like Mog, that's a huge help to you because you can reach out and sometimes actually connect directly with the mailbox provider that might be returning an error code that doesn't make sense to you. Yeah. Um, and they might be able to give you a bit of advice to say, well, did you look at this little thing over here? Um, or, you know, I simply don't like the way that your reverse DNS is set up. If you go and change that so that I actually believe that you're a mail server and not a dynamic IP space residential IP, right? There are things like that that most people won't catch. There are things that I've learned um, as a deliverability person, kind of jack of all trades. I know enough about coding HTML to be different, you know, to be dangerous. I know enough about DNS that I can set it up and manage it if I need to. I know enough about reading bounce codes that I can interpret most things easily. Authentication, right? So it's, you kind of need to be a jack of all trades. You can kind of master a few of them. Uh, you know, I think Privacy uh, aligns nice from a compliance and deliverability point of view to help understand different privacy legislations around the world and anti-spam laws and things like that. So there are, you know, you have to be open to continuously learning. I think that's the other piece, right? I was recently asked that, right? Like, how do you stay on top of things? I read every day. Yeah. I'm reading blogs. I'm reading Twitter. I'm asking questions. I'm involved in the conversation. Um, I take that, I regurgitate it all, I spit it back out on the web as, as helpful advice. Um, and if, if honestly, if the, if the community doesn't exist for you, build it, people will come. People want to want a place, right? Email geeks didn't turn into 9,000 people overnight on the Slack. It, it was a community that was built through word of mouth. Yeah. Um, and if that community for you and your, your vertical doesn't exist, build it and start talking to people and start you know, collecting those contacts. Um, I think that's sort of it. You know, I think my outgoing personality has helped me in that regard. Um, I think a lot of people that are maybe a little more introverted um, have a challenge with like in-person events, but online they're much more engaging. So I think join a community and if you don't have one, build it. 
I like it. You know, it's good advice. And that's, I mean, honestly, I'm even just thinking back to, um, this is a couple of years ago now, but um, when the, the, the bot net issue happened where tons and tons of people were like listed by spam house overnight, um, everybody was kind of, it sounds like sort of like trying to figure it out themselves. Either they're a one shop, you know, one person team, or they've got a small team and they're like, I don't know, my gosh, we're so screwed. And then you start talking to people from other companies, even though they're competitors, but you're in the same boat and you're dealing with the same issue. And so like the, the knowledge sharing within our industry is so awesome. People are willing to help you because they've been in that situation. So I think like in that situation it was like, okay, let's come together. Let's all share information and solve this in a larger way. And I think that's, that's just like the beauty of MOG and email geeks and, and email experience council and, and all these different organizations. So um, yeah, totally support that. And, and we've seen, we've seen that exact thing play out multiple times in the industry. We saw right. back what was it, like eight years ago, the Adobe gang, Adobe yeah. gang, whatever they were called was breaking into ESPs and using their platforms because they had compromised server accounts, they compromised client accounts. And it was like, how are they doing it? How are they getting in? And as a group, you know, we kind of worked together and um, came together as an industry and, and eventually I believe actually people went to jail for it. So, you know, we were able to figure it out and kind of point fingers in the right direction and get law enforcement involved. Um, you know, we've seen it time and time again with other issues. Um, and I, I think that's maybe the other thing I would tell people, don't be afraid to talk to your regulators, right? I talk with the Canadian regulators all the time because I need to stay up to date on what's happening in the anti-spam world in Canada. Um, I also know they're connected to like the FTC and the governments in New Zealand and Australia yeah. and Europe. Um, so they're getting intel and, um, you know, they want to work with people that want to follow the law, right? Yeah. They want to push that education proactively um, so that they don't have to knock on your door, right? You can solve a lot of problems by being in the know yeah. and taking the right steps. So um yeah, I know that wasn't wasn't really your question, but kind of, <laughs> you know, it kind of tailspun in that direction. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll stop there. Fair enough. Yeah, no, good information though, really. Um, cool. Okay. Well, I guess um, that that pretty much wraps up this episode, everyone. So, um, authentication is one of the more technical aspects of email, um, and while digging in on it on an authentication issue, um, maybe giving you an ice cream headache from time to time. I do think it's important that everybody has that, that essential kind of basic understanding of what it is, how it works, um, and have a friend who's super technical because I think that really helps too because then you can just kind of throw it over to them when you don't know what to do. So um, keep that in mind. Um, I hope Matt and I were able to give you some insight into to all of this stuff and help you with your authentication issues. Um, thanks so much, Matt, for being here. It was really just a pleasure to kind of chat with you and see your lovely face. Um, and I guess, you know, fellow email geeks, you know, stay tuned for our next episode. Um, we're going to be, be digging into a topic that is very near and dear to my heart, which is permission. Um, we're going to be joined by Skylar Hollebach, who is the senior manager email reputation for Pardot and Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Um, you know, if you guys have been reading the blog or if you know Skylar, you know that she always has an interesting take on things. Um, and considering she also works for an abuse desk, I think this is a perfect uh, person to be talking to about permission in email marketing. So stay tuned for that one. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great day. Thanks, Laura.